All right, it's time for another Miami Sports Pod. Will Manso alongside Clay Ferrero here taking a midweek pod we've got going because the Miami Heat are about to hit the all-star break. And Clay, they had their six-game winning streak snap. We're going to talk about that. We'll get a little, you know, we, we promise we're going to talk draft as we get into March. And I think starting next week, we're going to really delve into the Dolphins draft options. But this whole narrative with Tua and Mac Jones, and we kind of, we're going to give our take on it in a little bit. But let's start with the Heat, Clay. Uh, was it as simple as... Jimmy Butler doesn't play. The Heat aren't good. Yes. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And you know, I'd like to pod. play it. Roll it out. That's what <laughs> that was, get, get the music fired up. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I, I'd like to be able to delve further into it. And, and you, you can definitely say that it, at some point this team has to figure out how to win games and, you know, at least be competitive. And, yeah, you can say they were leading in the fourth quarter of that game, but it was also a game in which – Trey Young was absolutely terrible for seven and a half quarters of those back-to-back games. And, and then all of a sudden he became Trey Young again and the game was out of hand really quickly. So they, they didn't play well really in, in either of those games without Jimmy Butler, but, but Will, I, I, I think that's just, that's who they are. And, and I, I don't think it's outlandish to say that a, a good team is not a good team when their very best player isn't there. There are very few teams throughout the NBA, I, I guess maybe you would say Brooklyn, uh, the Clippers, teams that have multiple superstar level players that if you took off their best player, they would still be a, a good and, and highly competitive team. If anything, go ahead. I'm sorry, just this significant where you only score 80 points and you look lost, you get outscored by 17 in the fourth quarter. I mean, what is your record now without Jimmy? They're about seven, eight games under 500 without Jimmy. Yeah, I thought it was four and 10, four and 11, something yeah. like that. And, and look, I, you're right. They shouldn't look as lost without him as they do. And, and I think that probably speaks more to, to the issues that they have. That Look, if we're going to sit here and say this is a team that is, is aiming to get back to the finals, and they are, there, need to be some up, there needs to be some upgrades on the roster. Uh, but who they are right now is a good team, an above average team, uh, but a team with some faults and one that, that can't withstand losing its best player. Now, if you get some of those upgrades elsewhere, then maybe you're, you're more likely to wade through that time if you do have to have some without Jimmy. But look, I, I'm not putting Jimmy on LeBron's level. I'm, I'm not putting Jimmy on, on the level of, of the best of the best players, your top three, four, five players in the NBA. But I think you could easily argue that he is as important to the Heat as any player in the NBA. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's going too far. No, I agree with you. It's not about stack them up as the best players in the league. Jimmy has his place, but it's not obviously with LeBron. I mean, it's not top four, five, six player in the league, but it's just outside in that next tier. But when you talk about important to a team, it's Butler – and there are a few others that are as important to a particular team. And, and in this case, you know, look, you can sit here and we can talk about why they haven't looked good without Jimmy. But if this team's going to go anywhere, they're going to do it with Jimmy. So why waste any breath to talk about, you know, really break down this team when they don't have Jimmy? If they don't have Jimmy, they're not a, they may not even be a playoff team or certainly a first-round knockout type of team. That's what they would be. But let's move forward and say, okay, Jimmy's going to get healthy. This isn't a significant injury. He'll be ready for the second half of the season to play well. The topic number two that – and, Clay, we have this discussion once a month and on social media pretty much once a week, maybe even once, you know, once every game within the game. That's how much the bad out of bio aggressiveness story becomes a story. And I know you remember this. Was it in the playoffs where Spo said, you know, what, what, what is it? Why are people trying to make Bam what they want them to be instead of what he is and what we want him to be? 
And I, you and I both agreed with that take of like, look, stop worrying about what Bam isn't and just enjoy what he is and develop and, and continue to be an ascending player of the league. But I could say that, Clay, and at the same time, I, I think we're allowed to say, meaning without being too harsh on Bam, like it's some big thing that Bam needs to be more aggressive. And he said it again, he has said it multiple times, but at some point it's got to stop being said and just being done. There's no reason that Bam shouldn't bookmark himself in his head and say, as long as I'm not in foul trouble, I should be taking 15 shots a game. I mean, is that too much to ask? I don't think so for a player of his caliber. Well, I don't think so either. And, and I think the question then becomes, is, is this just who he's going to be this year? And, and maybe that's just – his mind can't, can't – like he can't envision himself as, as being that alpha on the floor consistently yet, even when Jimmy's not on the floor. Um, and, and maybe that's, that's part of the next step, and maybe that has to come during an extra offseason of growth. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I will say this. Even – even without being hyper-aggressive Bam with, with Jimmy out, he's still a max player. I mean, he is still – you look throughout the league at, at guys who are getting max contracts, and, and you have quite a few players that you would take Bam well ahead of. So this is not saying that – because sometimes you do get this, and, and Twitter can be nasty and all this. Oh, well, there's your other max player not being a max player. Well, no, Bam is still a max player when he is out there – being a, a menace defensively and, and switching off and making Trey Young's life miserable for, for seven and a half quarters back-to-back, and then switching off and, and trying to pick up more of the, of the load on John Collins and, 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 and Clint Capella in the second game. You know, he's still worthy of being a max player, but, you know, there is that but there that when Jimmy Butler is out, if this team is going to be able to win games, he does have to be that guy. And, and maybe, it, maybe it's just not going to be this year. Maybe that's going to have to be in the future because, well, I think the hope is if you're the Heat and if you're a Heat fan, we've already seen the, the stretch of games that you're going to have to play without Jimmy Butler this year. That, you know, the, the issues with, with COVID-19 earlier and then now with, with this knee inflammation, hopefully this is the longest you're going to have to go without and, and, and you're not going to have to deal with this anymore the rest of the season. If not, you know, maybe a game here and there, but just not that extended stretch. Yeah, and the thing with Bam, too, that, look, again, when Jimmy makes everybody better, right, Bam is a great player and an ascending player. He'll only get better. But when Jimmy's on the court, Bam is even better. I mean, that's just – I guess that's just basics when it comes to star players and teammates. You know, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, probably I would say the best duo in the NBA, right, when they play together, they make each other better. It's better for LeBron to have Anthony Davis and that option there inside and the ability to shoot threes. And obviously AD having LeBron doing everything he does. The same with the Heat in the sense of Jimmy and Bam. Yeah, that's not the same tier as AD and LeBron. But for the Heat perspective, they, they play off each other. And defenses have to focus on Jimmy so much, it lets Bam get loose and vice versa. So I get the part of how it impacts Jimmy. So a lot of people wonder like, okay, well, Bam, Jimmy's out. Be aggressive. And we've seen it yeah. in some games. We've seen it in some games. It's just hard for Bam. And I get it. This is why I hate to say I defend Bam because Bam doesn't need me, you, or anyone to defend him. His coaches, his teammates know what he is. But I think the explanation is Bam is so much about the right plays, the right basketball plays, you know, the dribble handoffs, the extra pass, 
finding his man, the screens, all the things that the Heat offense try to do to find that space and find that ability for their shooters on top of playing all-world defense every single possession. It never stops. Bam is guarding the point guard. Bam is guarding the center. Bam is guarding the forward. Bam is guarding the outside, the inside. You put that all together, the amount of effort that he puts into a game that has nothing to do with attacking the basket and you're exhausted just thinking about it. So yeah, the next step would be, hey, I have to muster some of that energy, whatever I have left, and understand that get my back away from the basket, look to that basket, and try to make plays to help my team win, even if it means forcing a thing things a little bit past your comfort zone because until it's just like anything until he crosses the threshold of what his comfort zone is offensively and aggressive wise he won't get to that next level which we all know he's going to get to he has broken through so many levels and he still has more to give and improve and I'm glad you brought up the point about everything else that he does And, and I think everything else that he does is so much more important to this team on a game-to-game basis. And, and you know, when we're looking ahead to the playoffs and who Bam is going to need to be, Bam is going to be the guy that he's already been. And that's the guy that he's going to need to be. You know, and, and the other thing is, no, people, weren't, people didn't have a problem with this in the first Atlanta game because other Heat players were actually making shots. But when they start off one for 10 from three-point range, then Bam playing this point center role where he's finding other guys, all of a sudden, like, everybody looks to him, like, okay, you, you need to score now. Well, well, that, 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 that wasn't what he did the game before. And, and the other problem I will say with this Atlanta series was, you know, if Bam is, is bringing the ball up the floor and play, playing that point center role and then he takes it all the way, back, way to the basket, that's one thing. I do think it's tougher for him to be aggressive when he's going up against a Phone call. Sorry about that. Um, I do think it's tougher for him to go up against a Clint Capella, a John Collins, a bigger front court, and and try to be that aggressive Bam. You're right. It's hard to outmuscle Capella. He's averaging what 14 rebounds a game. That's his game. Uh, but I think that's where maybe Bam could have been a little bit more aggressive with his mid range because the agree, agree, agree. And we saw it. There were times where we got the ball near the top of the key, a little bit inside the free throw line or right around the free throw line where he didn't even look at the basket because he's trying to facilitate the offense and movement. And I get it. That's the heat offense. It's okay. But there are times where you just kind of say, I'm going to take that shot. I'm an all-star. I'm a a max player. I'm a great player. I can make this shot. Take it. I I feel comfortable that Bam can make that shot. And I think he has to have that full confidence and aggressiveness in his shot we saw it. I wish I could remember the game play. We saw it maybe maybe a month ago. Remember the game where Bam, I think, took 11, 12 shots in the first quarter? Remember that game where he took a, a 10 yes. shots, 11 shots yes. in the first quarter? And I think he hit like six of them. And you know, he missed a few. But you sat there and you go, my goodness, I like this Bam. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. mind. Star players are allowed to have high shot counts. I mean, it's okay to take a lot of shots. Now, obviously, if you're having an off night, you don't want to end up three for 20 chucking shots. But – I think we're all those Bam smart enough to not get to that point. But in a game like that against the Hawks, the one that snapped the winning streak, in that fourth quarter when it's tied at 73 and it's ugly in the muck kind of game the Heat like and you have no Jimmy Butler, I think that's where Bam probably knows. And he said it afterwards. I need. I was too passive. I think he learns that, look, that's where you got to be the aggressive guy. And I think it'll come. I really do. I agree. I agree. And that's that'll be that next step. I, I will say this. I, I – <laughs> 
I felt more encouraged during the six-game winning streak than I have all year. I, I think we I, – I, you and I were both on the same page. This team looked broken. And, and even when Jimmy came back, something felt off. But then I, I felt like the fact that they were able to go on the road and, and win a couple of games. But the Utah game to me was, was something that changed things. It was, okay, you went toe-to-toe with the best team in the NBA and a team that, oh, by the way, it, it wasn't like they had an off night. That, that was the best team in the NBA playing, playing really well. And, and all of a sudden, like, it, you started to feel like, okay, this team's ceiling is at a level where where they can compete with the best and they can make that run again. Now, in order to do so consistently and win a seven-game series, I do think there are holes that have to be plugged in. And, you know, Zach Lowe uh, on, his, on his latest podcast brought up a couple of names. And, and, and the guy who really stood out to me that I found interesting that he thought would be a great fit, two guys, in fact, uh, Harrison Barnes, somebody who Sacramento may be looking to move on from, uh, and, and the other guy that, that doesn't get mentioned a lot, but is over a 40% three-point shooter, and, and when given a bigger role, could be good, and he has no role in Chicago right now, Otto Porter. Uh, again, somebody who's overpaid for what he's doing right now, but there are going to be some guys out there that, you know, maybe some names that we haven't heard yet. You know, obviously we've heard the name like Bradley Beal and Nemanja Bielitsa. Like, we've heard those guys, but there may be some other kind of off the Victor Oladipo, but there may be some other off the radar names, guys who who could come in and and fit that role perfectly. The guys who they're somebody who could step in and be exactly what they're looking for that maybe we haven't heard yet. I, I think you know two plays that I'm to the point now where I will be surprised if they don't make a move like that. I will be yep. I will say shocked. I would be very surprised, almost shocked if the Heat don't address the four before the deadline with some sort of move. And again, it's not, I don't expect a major move. I don't expect it to be, uh, you know, like we always talk about stars and the next whale, the next orca, whatever you want to call it. That's probably not going to come this year. And, that, and that's okay. This team, with solidifying the four, and if Jimmy and Bam are healthy, and Gorn, obviously Gorn is such a big key for the Heat as well. If he's healthy, I like the nucleus of this team to make another deep run. I do. And in the East, yep. everything is up. Right look, the Nets look like they're figuring things out a bit. Uh, that's a talented team, especially when they have everybody going. They don't even have their big three completely healthy. But in a season where health is such a big deal and in, in the ups and downs, you're not even sure if they'll get to that point where everybody's healthy and available. Their defense is questionable, even though they've improved in that spot. Point being, I think the Heat are one move from solidifying the four to being one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference and having a chance to get to the NBA Finals again. I really do. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a stretch or crazy to think, but I don't think this team as it stands now is a team that I feel is the best team in the Eastern Conference and that can truly make it to the NBA Finals again because there's too much inconsistency in that position. And as we saw last year with the way Jay Crowder played in the playoffs and other and defensively and other things, you can't have a hole in your starting lineup in key games in the playoffs and expect to make it to the NBA Finals. Can we say one thing, and, and this, <laughs> we're going to have months to talk about this, but, you know, you mentioned the whale thing. I, I, John Collins, man, like, watching him the last couple of games with Atlanta, and, and look, I, I don't think that he can swing a trade for him right now because I think he's probably priced himself out of, of what they want to give up for this year. But, man, like you're talking about they, – they, they earmarked this cap space for 2021, 
and uh, for the free agency period of 2021. And then Giannis is, is off the market and like all of a sudden it's well, oh, they're not going to have, I'm telling you, man, that you could do a lot worse this offseason than a John Collins. And I know that Victor Oladipo is the name that's been out there for a long time. You're asking me right now who I think would be the best fit on this team. John Collins, I would give that guy money ahead of, of Oladipo right now. I, I just you, – you saw in these two games just how perfect the fit next to Bam would be. And would be Collins is somebody who he, – he's not – He's not the he's not switchy, right? Like he's not going to go and and guard all five guys like like Bam will. But there are things that he does on the offensive end of the floor that that Bam just isn't there yet. Um, and and he will be. But man, like the two of those guys together, my goodness! Like that front court. Anyway, nobody wants to hear about the su- the summer yet because this team is still good, and we'll have time to talk about that. But I came away from this. Bottom line, I came away from these two two games thinking. If that is your consolation guy this offseason, then, man, you could do a lot worse. Well, I, I know I've told you this story uh, off air, and but I've talked about it before. The Heat had John Collins in and Bam in pre-draft, and they loved them both. And they were high on both, and they just, in the end, they just felt Bam was more to the Heat culture and the style of player they wanted. But they were very intrigued by John Collins. He was very much an option at 14, the year that Bam was drafted, what, 2017, 2017 draft. Uh, but they just went in that direction. So we know that the, the, what they think, the way they think of John Collins, from Pat Riley to Andy Ellisberg, their entire scouting staff, they like John Collins a lot. But I just don't know if they have the ability to swing that kind of move. Yep. And as you mentioned, he's going to get paid, man. He's going to get paid. He's going to get paid. And yep. He's an ascending player in the league. Different player than Bam, obviously. They're not similar in, in style. But, man, when it comes to upside, uh, I love what John, what John Collins can do. It, and, and he would and will did you, did you know that he's from the West Palm Beach area? Hey, drink. <laughs> did you know I'm from the West Palm Beach area? Yes, I would know. Cardinal, I should John Collins shout out. We've heard that a few times. Sorry, had to give a hard time. I'm glad <laughs> we had to make sure that we referenced it in the pod. Uh, before we go, we got the heat part of things, and again, we got the second half of the season to discuss heat and that, that final 36-game push that begins next Thursday at home against Orlando. Uh, Clay, you and I actually rarely do we disagree on things significantly. We disagree on things, but rarely is it like a big, you know, I, I think you're totally wrong, but we really disagree on this whole Tua below a Mac Jones discussion that has come up on social media, and not just on social media, but in the media, general media itself, pre-draft with former teammates of both, Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, both saying they prefer Mac Jones, uh, both saying that, you know, Waddle's case, really going in all in on, on how much better he thinks Mac Jones is than Tua. I think this is just great teammates looking out for a teammate who's trying to get drafted high during draft season. I don't think it's any kind of indictment on Tua or to say that Mac Jones is that much better, which, by the way, Mac Jones could be better than Tua. What do I know? I mean, we'll see how their careers pan out. Mac Jones is obviously going to be a first-round pick and going to get a chance to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. But I just don't place too much on it because I think if they were both coming out this year, I think they would, the answers would be different. I think they would be saying, well, look, they're both great QBs. One does this, one does that. I think if Tua were coming out this year, Mac Jones was the one who came out last year then I think you'd hear the similar answers toward Tua that they're saying about Matt Jones because the bottom line is Tua was already selected in the top five. He's got his place with the Miami Dolphins as a part of the franchise. Mac Jones wants that opportunity. And I think just they're being great teammates and a guy they truly love and think is a good player to make sure that people understand what they think of him. I, I don't see it as any more than that. 
Well, I, the thing that kind of stood out to me is it's, it's so and, – and Nick Saban runs Alabama like a professional organization. So these guys are drilled in not saying anything. And, you know, you, all of the, 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 the non-answer answers that you get in the NFL – like I'll always remember – do you remember when Quinnen Williams was asked about Kyler Murray – and this was before Alabama played Oklahoma in the college football playoff. And he started to say something. And then, like, you could tell the vision of Nick Saban, like, took over his brain. And this look, this look of terror went across his face. So you have a history with Alabama players of, uh, like, kind of understanding what they should and should not say in order to garner attention, right? I found it, number one, refreshing that you had players who were willing to, to actually give an answer and, and not give a, a, a non-answer. But number two, I thought it was a little telling that it was immediate with both of these guys, Devontae Smith supposedly off the record and Jalen Waddell on the record, that, man, it was Mac Jones. And the thing that to me, I, I could understand if it were just off the record because then you're, you're talking to coaches at the Senior Bowl and, and like you're, you know that these are the guys that are kind of probing for information um, to get the guy. publicly on the record. You're putting your face and your name to it. That, that to me, it was like, hmm, okay, well, that's, I, and you understand that Jalen Waddle worked that. Here's, here's the other thing, Will, and I, I said this on Twitter, and, and the more I'm thinking about this, I don't know if this is as much about Tua. I think Mac Jones may be a lot better than we thought, and and by we, I mean kind of the universal we in the media. Because um, we're kind of getting to that time in the draft where the media's kind of read on things catches up to what the scouts and the front office people's read on things has been all along, because now it's all starting to match up. I have a feeling that when this thing is all said and done, Mac Jones may actually end up being third quarterback off the board. And, and so maybe this is just a, a case of, Maybe we just didn't realize how good this guy was all along. Um, but I will say that I found it telling that both of the players, Devontae Smith and, and Mac Jones and, uh, and Jalen Waddle, supposedly without hesitation, said Mac Jones. And the other thing was, there was a, I thought it was the Monday morning quarterback article by Albert Breer that said that Jones was known as the more studious player at Alabama. And, and I find that interesting because I, I feel like you know, when will you will you hear from from players is the transition and having to to learn what it's like to be a professional quarterback in the NFL that it's quite a step up. And so I, maybe that's something that Tua has now learned. Maybe it's that that Mac Jones just kind of brought that to the table already, and that that was something that the receivers noticed. Um, but whatever it is, I I just felt like to me it's not nothing. You know, to me it was more than just hey, we're trying to raise Mac Jones' stock. It could be as simple as no Jones. How does that really matter in the end about Tua? Like that they don't, that they specifically prefer, let's say they're being dead honest and this is not a draft, you know, thing. Okay, I'll play along, but okay. So they say that, what does that really mean though? That Tua isn't good. I mean, like you said, Mac Jones, he could be the best QB in this draft. Who knows? He could have yeah. a 15-year career. I mean, Tua himself compared him to a mobile Tom Brady. I mean, again, what, what do you make of that? What do we make of that? I still don't think it's any kind of indictment of Tua, though. Well, no, and I and I to your point, I, a more mobile Tom Brady, like that's that's pretty high praise too. And again, like if if that is all that they would have said, 
then I don't think Tua comes into this at all. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody starts questioning Tua. Like, if it was just keeping praise on, on Mac Jones, but because the questions were posed as being a comparison, and, and you know, they didn't just say, oh, well, they each have their, their strengths. You know, Tua's got a little bit better feet and gets the ball out quicker, whereas Mac Jones maybe has a stronger arm, whatever. Like, it just, it was very definitive. And, and to me, that was telling. But again, I'm starting to believe the more I read, the more I hear. And, and you and I are both on the same page of this. We, we both soak up, like, every bit of off-season football knowledge that we can find. I just, I, I feel like there's starting to be more of a push towards Jones getting up into that top three quarterback conversation. And maybe this is just as much about him. And the other thing is when you read that he was supposedly more studious, maybe there's a situation where Tua gets into the NFL, he learns from Ryan Fitzpatrick what it takes to be an NFL quarterback. And next year he comes up guns a blazing and, and we forget about this whole thing. Or maybe they trade for Deshaun Watson and we forget about all of this. Look, when it, if there's anything that's been a change in the NFL, particularly the last few years, that there's, there's very little patience for quarterbacks. In the old days, and I, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think teams understand you can't give away years. We're talking about a town that waited seven years for Ryan Tannehill to become a good quarterback, a star quarterback, decided it was time to go on, waited so long, and then he goes to Tennessee and becomes – a star quarterback. I mean, so it's, it's yep. sometimes you just have to cut your losses and figure out what to do. And obviously that's not the time for two after one season. I don't think he showed anything to think that you have to cut ties with him. If you can get it to Sean Watson, we've talked about it a hundred times. Sure. But I still really believe that Tua is the Dolphins quarterback of the present and future, but 365 days from now, we could be having a discussion on a pod looking forward to the 2022 NFL draft saying, man, the Dolphins really screwed up with Tua. He's just not the answer. And that's yep. just the way this league works. It's just the way it works. So uh, that's something we'll have to see. And, Clay, I started the pod by saying I promise we'll do more. Since next week is the all-star break in the NBA and there won't be a lot of heat updates, barring anything huge for the heat, uh, I, I say we do a little draft preview next week. So I, how about a tease ahead for that? We'll talk some uh, – we'll start really looking in, delving into where the Dolphins may be headed when it comes to the free agency, with free agency starting in a couple weeks, and as well as the NFL drafts, some Dolphins talk. So how about that? That's the promise for next week. Excellent. Sounds good to me. Yeah, the free agency stuff is going to be fascinating, especially when you see the move with, with Kyle Van Noy. Dolphins are, are making some, some space for something, oh, for some ones, some ones. Yeah. You don't release a guy like Van Noy, who was very productive, a team leader, uh, and in a position of, of that need. I mean, that's a position where you need it, that ability to, that he has in that kind of hybrid role where he can pass rush and also make plays. It's, it's, that's just the kind of guy that you don't get rid of if you don't have big plans for that money, it's not to plug in spots. It's to go out and make sure you have money to get a number one receiver. And I think that's where that money will go. Yep. One of the things we'll discuss next week, that is your Miami sports pod. Always appreciate you listening and subscribing.